The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. How are you guys doing? Doing good? God is good? All the time. That he is. So we're at the very end of the month, January. We, we got a little extra bonus uh, fifth weekend here. And next weekend will be the beginning of February. And uh, so, as we always do, we'll be beginning with a special service of communion. At the end of the service, we'll be laying hands on people and praying for people. We'll have a special afterglow at the end of the service. And um, so, but before we get started in tonight's study, I'd like to ask all of you to stand up and join us uh, as we pray. We welcome those, by the way, that are watching online, and also we're on the radio uh, live this evening on KSDW. Why don't you clap and let them know we're welcoming them to be with us. And um, yeah, I want you to just bow your heads, and, and I'd like to pray a special prayer this evening. Father, we come before you, and we come before the throne of our Father in heaven, and I thank you for Lord, that you rule and you reign, you have all power and all authority. And even as the prophet Daniel describes, then to him, the Lord was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve the Lord. And your dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and your kingdom is the one which shall never be destroyed therefore may thy kingdom come may thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we just want to proclaim tonight in agreement and declare on the basis of your word the Lord, you have dominion over your church, dominion over your house, dominion over the United States of America, dominion over the state of California, dominion over the city of San Diego. Lord, you rule and you reign, and to you belongs all of the glory and the praise. So Lord, we pray now, may we hear with the Spirit would say to each one of our hearts, in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. It's not a long uh, study tonight, at least I don't think it will be. I hope it won't be. But Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 26. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to teach through Acts 11, the, the continued... Uh, moving of the Holy Spirit in the early church. We're all hopefully praying for revival that we want to we want to experience a revival in our time, in our generation, right here, right now. Can I hear an amen on that? So Lord bring it. Well the title of the message tonight is A New Stream of Ministry. And so we're gonna go through and see what God does something actually that is new. He's been working ever since the resurrection predominantly in Israel and of course the gospel started in the city of Jerusalem 
But as Jesus told his disciples, guys, here it's going to start. Because this is where I came. This is where I was sacrificed, crucified, buried, rose, and ascended up into heaven. It all happened in Jerusalem. But the gospel will not remain here. And I'm going to take you guys and I'm going to send you out. And from Jerusalem, the gospel shall go from here to Samaria. And then it will overflow into and throughout Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So God is going to begin doing a new work outside of Israel in an ancient city called Antioch. And as I've been looking at this, praying about it, God's just been speaking to my heart. He wants to do something similar in our day. He wants to do and provide a new stream of ministry. So I want to share with you that uh, tonight, even in the study, we'll just be beginning right at the end to kind of touch on some things that are going to become a new theme as we go through the book of Acts, as we continue going through this amazing year of 2021. But I'm telling you, I, in my times of prayer, my times of waiting upon the Lord, and even now, right now, under the stars on this first evening service of this weekend... I am feeling the presence of the Spirit of God that He is about to do something brand new with all of us. Amen? Okay, so um, Peter is now, you know, we, we had the experience uh, where the gospel came to Cornelius, if you were with us last week, and so now the gospel's gone from Jew to Gentile. Cornelius, Roman centurion, and his whole house gathered together. And Peter has this vision, uh, and Cornelius has an angel visit him, and it's a divine connection, a divine explosion. Now the gospel's ready to go around the world. Uh, so Peter has come back to Jerusalem to report on what he has just experienced. So in Acts chapter 11... Beginning in verse 1, we read this. Just the first three verses. And actually, I'm going to give you the first uh, life lesson here. After a powerful move of God, know this, the enemy will always attack. Now look how it happened. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers, the brethren who were in Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, so he had been uh, with Cornelius, now he's come back to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision. Now this would have been believers, Jewish believers in Jesus, but they're called those of the circumcision. That means they're very religious, observant Jewish believers, contended with him, they're arguing with him. He's coming back to give this great news. And they're arguing with him, saying... You went in to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Now, is that a question or is that an accusation? Maybe a little bit of both. So look at this. Peter no sooner returned to Jerusalem where he is met by this strong religious party from Jerusalem and they literally rebuked him. You did what? You went where? You received who in your house? You sat down with Gentiles? You ate with them? And they attacked him. Now Peter's going to have to give a defense for what's going on. But what I want to make a note of here is 
Where do you think this attack was coming from? Yes, it was coming from men. It was coming from religious men, even from believers. But who is behind all of that? The enemy is coming after Peter because now, literally an explosion, the gospel could literally go around the world and the enemy knows it. So I want to just say this to you tonight, all of those that are listening. It is a truth that after God has spoken to you or after God has moved in your life, the enemy will always come in to challenge him and to resist the new work of God. So let that be, and if that happens, don't draw into fear saying, uh-oh, I did something wrong. Let it be confirmation you did something right. When you're under the attack of the enemy, that means something good is happening, right? And this is a pattern that is followed all through the Bible, but let's just take the example of Jesus himself. After Jesus went to John the Baptist and he went to the Jordan River and he went to get baptized and the Holy Spirit came down upon him and that was the sign John had been given by the Spirit. The one upon whom you see the Spirit descend like a dove, that's the Messiah. So John baptizes Jesus first. He says, no, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, John, that all things might be fulfilled. I need to go through this. Baptize me. So he baptizes him, takes him up out of the water. John sees the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Now Jesus is ready to begin his ministry. And what is the first thing that happens? Does Jesus go do a miracle or a healing or do a Bible study? No, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where, who's waiting for him there? The devil to tempt him and to get him off course. So what I'm saying is this is a pattern in the Bible. All the stories we could go through, the patriarchs and all the prophets, that when God begins to speak, when God begins to move by his Spirit, and when you begin to obey and follow him, you will be met with resistance. Do not be discouraged. In fact, let there be a smile on your face and a twinkle in your eye and say, ha, I know where this is coming from. This is coming from the enemy. And you don't like it because God has spoken. God is on the move. And in fact, the very fact that it irritates you only makes me want to go even further and obey the Lord. Amen? How many of you would love to annoy the devil for once, right? So here's what happens to poor Peter. So, after a powerful move of God, the enemy will always attack. But now let's go on to verses 4 through 12. And I want to just mention this. The importance of God speaking through dreams and visions. Because now Peter's got to give an answer. Sometimes you're attacked. Maybe by family. By friends. And God's been moving in your heart and you've been learning some new things and you're trying to share it with your friends or your family and they're fighting you or resisting you. And you're saying, Lord, what is, what's going on here? So the Lord will encourage you because God speaks through dreams and visions. So verse four, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me. And when I observed it, 
intently, and I considered it, I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things, birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. And moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Um, number one, God often spoke to men through dreams. Examples in the Bible are Abimelech, Jacob, Joseph, obviously the prophet Daniel, but also Pharaoh, a non-believing Gentile political ruler, and also Gideon. So God spoke through dreams, but he also spoke through visions. There was Abram, uh, Jacob, Samuel the prophet, Elijah, Nathan, Job, Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, Zechariah, and in the New Testament, Ananias, spoken to in a dream, and then Paul himself was given visions and dreams. Now, a vision is like a dream, only you're awake. But you're in, it's like a trance, it's not hypnosis, but you're mentally in your mind's eye focused, you are, a vision is being able to see something in the spiritual realm that is coming from God. Now, God is able, because God is a spirit, he can give each and one, every one of us dreams while we're sleeping, or he can give to us visions. And it's both in the Old and the New Testament. In fact, again, I'm going to have you read with me. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. This is a sign of the last days. Let's read it out loud. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, here, here's what's interesting. I mean, we just went through this whole story last week in chapter 10. Now, in chapter 11, the, the writer, who is Luke, takes all this time and space, the first 18 verses, has already been written. It's already, he already told us this story. Why doesn't it just say, and then the same, Peter told them the same thing that, you know, I just talked about in the previous chapter. But no, he tells us, all the details. It's interesting that Luke, and by the way, as Luke would have been writing the original gospel, he would have been writing it on parchment, which means it, they didn't have books. It was a scroll. And the longest scroll would have been about 35 feet long. And what that means is you have limited space. Now, the book of Acts is a pretty long book. It's one of the longest books, 28 some chapters, meaning he needed the entire 35 feet. So in that, space is a commodity. You probably don't need to retell a story twice, writing on a scroll, when you've, you're limited. But Luke wasn't the only author. Who was the one inspiring Luke to write? 
the Holy Spirit. And therefore the Holy Spirit, because these men wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit said, I want you, Luke, tell this story again, write it again, even though it's taking up precious space on the scroll of what I did in the early church. So very clearly, God is wanting to emphasize, if God repeats something twice, if he says something twice, and we're reading through this again, hey, we just talked about this last week, it is because the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to us the importance of Peter's vision. And we know there is a prophecy that in the last days, God will give men as well as women visions. And so the more you're in the word, more that you're in prayer, be ready and be prepared that the Spirit can come to you and grab, as it were, your mind's eye. But what you are seeing and what you are perceiving is literally from the Spirit of God. And I don't believe it's just for pastors and ministers and, you know, people that are in professional clergy positions or whatever. Because that's not what Joel prophesied. He said, in the last days, I will pour it out on all. I, all, my spirit will be poured out on all. Men and women, young and old, there's no box of limitation. So how many of you would love to have a vision or a dream from God? And I believe, and I know that some of you have been coming up to me, sharing with me your dreams. There's a lot of Christians not only here, but around the world, dreaming these days. I'm sure you know that. There are a lot of believers having visions, and we ought to listen to our visions and also to the dreams. Now, in this, Peter presents three pieces of evidence, because he's got to convince these religious guys. Number one, he says, I had a vision. So they would have said, okay, well, we'll we get, I give credence to that. Number two, the witness of the Holy Spirit. And number three, the witness of the word. And Peter's going to give an example of the very word of God. So from the beginning to the end of the conversion of the Gentiles, Peter is saying, this wasn't my idea. Guys, the Holy Spirit took over. I wasn't totally into it in the beginning, but God did something actually that was absolutely supernatural. So look with me now. As we go through verses 13 through 18. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose nickname is Peter. So now he's telling him, here's what the, the Gentile guy told me. He had an angel come into his house. And then you're going to, there's a man named Peter uh, or Simon. His nickname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Notice, Peter says, I didn't stop speaking. I was in the middle of my sermon, and the Holy Spirit did not wait for me. He just started pouring out his spirit upon them like we've all experienced there at Pentecost. So he goes, if you want to blame somebody, blame the Holy Spirit. If you have a problem, your problem is with God, not with me. He says, as upon us... At the beginning, a reference to Acts. Verse 16, then, now here's where he gives scripture. So he says, I had a vision. The Holy Spirit took over the meeting. Secondly, and now thirdly, he gives them scripture. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you 
shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? That's a great question. He goes, guys, I didn't do it. I didn't lead it. I didn't say, let's do this. And you know, the Holy Spirit took over the meeting. And then I remembered what Jesus said. I'm going to come baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What happened to them is what happened to us at the very beginning. So this is very, very powerful. I mean, so I, I have some sympathy for the religious Jews because they had an understanding from Abraham for 2,000 years. We're special people, and their understanding would have been, look, okay, great, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Let them get circumcised. Let them become Jews. Let them follow us and all of our rules and the laws that God's given to us. Then they can be saved. But, but that's not what happened. They didn't get circumcised. They did not become Jews. They remained Gentiles, and they have, they, their culture is different. Their eating habits are different. They don't have any of the things, and... And how could God just go love them and forgive them like that? And that's exactly what God was doing. And I love it because Peter says, so he goes, look, the Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit poured out himself upon them and loved them and forgave them and gave them the very same sign that you and I have. He goes, how can I withstand God? Is that a great question? If God did it, what can I do to stop it? I had nothing to do with it. So now beginning in verses 19 through 21, look at this. God creates a new stream of ministry from this city of Antioch. Look with me beginning in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, so that would have been back in Jerusalem, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, which is up in Syria, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So because of the persecution in Jerusalem, Jewish believers scattered throughout the Roman world. They went to Phoenicia, they went to Cyprus, they went up into Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, but they only preached to Jews uh, and only the Jewish people. But... Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So what I want you to realize is, now that the door has been opened, and now that Cornelius has been saved, they go up to Antioch, and they wanted to keep it to the Jews, but now God says, nope, I'm opening the door to all the Gentiles. So listen to this. God is pouring new wine into a new wineskin. Jesus said during the Gospels, he said, you cannot pour new wine into an old wineskin. Because if you pour new wine into an old wineskin, the old wineskin that is brittle and gets hardened uh, will burst, it'll break, and then you'll lose the wineskin and the new wine, it'll just be lost and all over the floor. So he said you have to put new wine into a new wineskin. New wine is fermenting, it's dynamic, it's growing powerfully from within. So what what's the Holy Spirit is doing is saying, look, I poured my spirit out in Jerusalem. 
And I poured it out upon Judea and even Samaria within the land of Israel. But now as you go share the gospel in all these Gentile cities and lands, I'm pouring new wine. I'm going to save Gentiles who don't have to become Jews in order to get saved. They can remain a Gentile and still believe in Jesus as the Savior and be washed and cleansed and forgiven. And they become your new brothers and sisters in the family of God. Can I hear an amen on that? God's out of the box. New wine. Now let me tell you just a little bit about Antioch. With a population of a half a million, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and then Alexandria. It had some of the most magnificent buildings of the ancient world. And so it was called Antioch the Golden Queen of the East. The main street when you came to Antioch was four miles long, paved with marble. You realize how hard that, you know, the marble, like from Italy, and then you bring it to Syria, and then you pave a, this, this beautiful four mile long main street. And on either side were marble colonnades. It was a busy port center. It was a luxurious culture. It attracted people from all over the Roman world, including wealthy Roman officials who spent their days spending their money, their retirement, and all of the fun and the festivities and the music and the races and all and gambling and all this, the rest of it. But Antioch was also a, not only cosmopolitan, it was a very worldly, fleshly, uh, sinful city. They not only had the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Syrian gods, but they had one local shrine dedicated to the goddess Daphne that had all kinds of immorality involved in its practices, and that also brought people from all over the world. And I want you to know this. Here, where the gods of antiquity and gods and goddesses of every kind of evil and immorality the Lord said, that's where I'm going to bring my sons and my daughters, and they're going to preach the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. God planned it. In fact, the church, rather than being afraid of being overwhelmed by this, they said, oh my goodness. As they walked the streets, they said, do you realize how ripe this place is for the gospel? Because they could look into the eyes of every Roman man and woman and Greek, let alone Syrian, and find out they were empty inside. They were lost inside. They had nothing going on. They were not satisfied. They had not found what they were looking for. And so now the Lord has sent men and women to bring the powerful, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ that would literally bring a transformation of that city. Can I hear an amen on that? So God wants, so look at this. There are lost people that God is interested in discovering and finding and bringing into the kingdom. All right, let's look at the final verses we're going to look at this evening. Verses 22 through 25. And we'll close with this. It says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they then sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch, hundreds of miles away. 
And when he came and had seen the grace of God, wow, there's people coming to the Lord, Romans coming to the Lord, Greeks coming to the Lord, Syrians coming to the Lord. This church was growing rapidly. It was building and it was becoming very powerful. He was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. So Barnabas was an encourager. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. A thriving, growing, healthy church. And then Barnabas departed from Tars uh, for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, this is beautiful and it's very powerful. And I want to just say this. More than making converts, we are called to make disciples. When Barnabas saw, wow, there's a revival happening. This church is growing. And it's got all kinds of different people from all different classes, all different backgrounds, all different nationalities. And it's being, and it's being talked about all throughout Antioch. And Barnabas started ministering to them and encouraging them, but he realized, I need somebody that can reach the Jewish people, but also can speak to the Gentile people. And he goes, I know just the guy, Saul of Tarsus. Now, what I want you to realize is what, when this story happens, we, we were with Saul just before we started looking at Peter. You know how, Saul, how long Saul, he went home to, to Tarsus. He's been gone for about 11 years. We are not told what Saul did during those 11 years. We know that he spent two or three years in Arabia and the Holy Spirit downloaded a bunch of stuff to him. So, okay, so that brings us to maybe eight or nine years left that are there. He's probably witnessing and sharing to Jews and Gentiles or whatever. But Barnabas said, we need that guy, Saul. So he brought Saul and Saul and Barnabas. How many of you would love to have Saul and Barnabas as your pastor and assistant pastor? I mean, that'd be great, right? For a whole year, and he taught them. And it was a powerful and a growing church community. And literally, Antioch then, because God started pouring more and more and more and more and more new wine into that church in Antioch, and then Antioch sent uh, Paul and then Barnabas and later a guy named Silas and a guy named Timothy on these missionary journeys. But the base of the operation and of this missionary movement that would literally light the Roman world on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Roman world would be turned on its head. It would be turned inside out. Started from the church in Antioch. God was pouring new wine into a new wineskin, and the lost from every nation, language, kindred, and tribe were being brought to the Lord. This city was filled with lost people, empty people, disillusioned people that were ripe for the gospel. So here's what I want to uh, share with you. We are in, living in a very similar time, and I just want to say this. You know, God has been speaking and pressing on my heart. You know, it's not just about getting converts. It is about making disciples. The Lord wants to make you a disciple, and then he wants you to make others into not just believers or converts, but into disciples. 
It is the early church was a model that the church that Jesus Christ builds is a disciple-making venture. The church is about making disciples. Can I hear an amen? amen? And often we hear first, oh, Jesus is Savior, which is true. And now I'm saved. And, and so then if you want, you become more spiritual and you say, I want, maybe I'll become a disciple. <laughs> but quite honestly, you, you don't get to choose. You, look, he, so let me just say this. Say this after me. Jesus is my Savior. And Jesus is my Lord. So Jesus, you need to know from the beginning, he's not only Savior, but he's Savior and Lord. And Lord means he's the boss. And it means that we obey him. We don't get to think about it or decide, well, let me understand it a little better and I'll consider it. But we are to obey him from the beginning. So I want to just give you a couple of quick points and, and we'll wrap it up. And, and again, I'm, gonna, I'm dropping some seeds that we're going to be watering over the next few months and what God is going to be doing in and amongst us. So what is God's love language uh, to mankind? Grace and mercy are God's love language to mankind. Hallelujah. Is that good or what? Grace is... So it's like a two-sided coin. Grace is God giving you what you can't ever earn or deserve. And God goes, I love you so much. The, the basic meaning of grace is a gift. God says, I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you grace. And every day you are bathed in the grace of God. The other side of the coin is his, you know, his other language is, is mercy. So if grace is giving you what you don't deserve, mercy is not giving you what you actually do deserve. How many would love to say amen to that? Like separation from God, we, that's what we deserve. How many are glad that his mercies are new morning by morning? So think about this. Between God's grace, he gives me what I don't deserve, and his mercy doesn't give me what I do deserve, fallen mankind, we're covered for all of eternity. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful language. Heavenly Father, your language of grace and mercy. But now, let's flip the coin and say, well, what about us? What is our love language to God? And let me put it to you from the scriptures. Our love language to God is obedience. Say the word obedience. obedience. Read with me 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. So in the New Testament, let's read it. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So his commandments are, look, and, and the whole thing, it's not about rules and regulations, that's religion. It is a father. Every command from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation and everything in between is your father giving you loving, wisdom, counsel, advice, saying, son, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be fulfilled? Do you want to be the most blessed you could possibly be? Would you like to have your mind blown with how good your life can be? Then do this. And you'll be right in the center of my will. I won't hold anything back from you. 
And if I tell you don't do something, it's not because I arbitrarily just don't want you to do it. It's because it, I know that it will hurt you, wound you, rip you off, deceive you, and you'll end up empty and, and not happy. So that's the way it is. God's word and God's will are for you to be the most fulfilled, happy, loving, joyful, peaceful human being, child of God on the planet. Amen? Amen. So we want to obey the Lord. So let's uh, give you one more here. We must then be willing to leave the 99 and find the one that is lost. I'm going to just, I won't look at it, but I'll just remind you of the scripture in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. Jesus said that the good shepherd, he'll leave the 99 that are in the pen so, because he wants to go find the one that is lost. That's where we are today. Can I tell you, look, life is short, and then you die, and then we go stand before God. So um, what, is, what is important then about life? And I believe that the focus of the Father for us and for the church in this moment, in this hour, with all the craziness going on in the world, more than building things and accomplishing things and doing things, our Father's heart is that not one would be lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I just feel the heart of the shepherd saying, there are people that are distracted by the problems, whether economically or physically with the virus or politically or all the craziness that's going on, and yet they're lost and they're empty. And we, we have the gift of eternal life. May God then anoint us and bless us and give us the heart that will reach those who are lost so that they, like us, can be found and have the hope of eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, shall we? I, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I went through, a, you know, and I think we're still experiencing the afterglow of the, the revival called the Jesus People. And I'll tell you, one of the things about the Jesus people was that it didn't matter who you were or how long you'd known the Lord, you wanted to share Jesus with people. And, and because he was so awesome, he was just so amazing and salvation was just so great. So would you bow your heads and I want to just pray for us and, and ask the Lord to give us his heart. It's a download that will come from his heart. And when you feel the download, you'll begin feeling what the Father feels. For those who are lost that you know, that you love, that are in your family, that are friends or coworkers or neighbors or classmates or roommates, whatever it may be, but a heart, a heart for the lost. And that's a sign of the moving of the Holy Spirit when the lost are brought into the love of Jesus. So gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray. We pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was Peter in a new environment, and, and he didn't realize this Cornelius guy had been looking for a relationship with you for a long time. He didn't know what to do. He was doing everything he knew to do. He was a good man. He gave alms. He was kind of religious and spiritual. He prayed. He gave alms. He fasted even. But he was lost. He was empty. He didn't have any divine connection. He was looking, but he had not, and Peter had it. And you took away Peter's 
pride and his prejudice and the box he had put you in. And he opened his eyes that it was a man, just like Peter, that needed love, that needed forgiveness, that needed Jesus, just like Peter did. And Lord, through an angel on one end and a vision on the other end, you connected them and a beautiful explosion of salvation came. And I thank you that now even in Antioch, that began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger until finally they said what's happening in Antioch is so awesome and so cool. We need to send Paul and a couple of guys with him and light fires and share the gospel with the lost all over the Roman world. And Lord, the, the world has never been the same. Do it again, Lord, is our prayer tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.